0: We're in our second part of our series called Cow Tipping. And the whole premise of this is talking about that the church has some sacred cows. The church has a lot of things. The reason we do what we do many times has less to do with the Bible and has more to do with this statement. We've always done it that way before. Um, uh, That a lot of the things that we do in church is isn't based upon this book, but it's based upon tradition. And I want to talk a little bit about tradition today. I'm just going to say up front, there's nothing wrong with tradition. We all have traditions, all right? And uh, so nothing wrong with tradition. Um, So, in fact, I'm going to give you a definition of tradition. This comes from Merriam-Webster. This is what it says. Uh, A tradition is a method or a style. Everybody say method or style. Method or style related to the past that are commonly accepted as historical, though not verifiable. The the traditions I want to talk about today aren't traditions that come out of the Bible, but are traditions based upon our own methods and our own styles. Now, we all have methods, we all have preferences, and we all have styles. Nothing wrong with any of that all right we all you may have a method of how you go to work every day how many of y'all travel pretty much the same way to work every day what's your hands see that's most of us nothing wrong with it. how many of y'all have a favorite food all right again we have a preference for food right how many of y'all have a preference for a, a specific type of music how many of y'all like country music wow a whole lot more in the second service than in the first. All right. How many of y'all uh, have a preference for a rock and roll? All righty. Very good. The cow liked it. Um, how many of y'all, uh, you, I mean, you like like 1950s, like Elvis Presley, you know, yeah, like, like, like Vermush. All right. Cool. How many of y'all like rap music? Anyone? Not many of us. I'm a, see. I am I am I love rap music. All right. I like it a lot. All right. Thank you very much. See, some of y'all didn't know, they call me white chocolate. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) uh, that's not in my notes, so I need to go back. We all have a preference for a style of music. We all have a preference um, for, you know, how we go to work. We all have a preference for taste. And there's nothing wrong with our preference. preferences, our styles, or our methods. Nothing wrong with it. In fact, I'm just going to say this. To, to kill tradition for the sake of killing tradition is just plain stupid. All right? Nothing wrong with tradition. Nothing wrong with methods or styles. I just want to say that out front. Except... When we start elevating, especially in churches, when we start elevating our preferences, our methods, our styles, our traditions, our programs over God's word. And when we start fighting over preferences, methods, styles, traditions... When we start fighting over that and we start elevating that to saying, well, this is the way God says it because we always need to have it this way, then we're, we're off base and we're off point. I want to talk about today the how, the how, because traditions and methods and styles and preferences, and especially this word program, we're going to unearth what that means in a minute. All of that stuff is how. How? It's, it's not what, because the what we do is found in the Bible, and this never changes. God's word never changes. This is our authority. So this never changes. Now, who we are to speak to, God says, For God so loved the all right? That is everybody. Alright? So and so that's to whom this is the what. I want to talk to today about the how. Because it's our traditions, our styles, our preferences, our programs. When we start fighting and start centering on those, then we're no longer focusing on God or focusing on the people that God wants to have a relationship with people. That is the world. When our programs, preferences, and styles start making it hard for people to come to know Jesus Christ, then our programs, methods, preferences, styles, and traditions have to go if they're not based in the Bible. I, I, I wrote this down. I want, I want to read it. It says, All churches begin with the focus to reach people. At all, all churches at one time or another began. There were, some people call them a church plant. Their focus when they began was to reach people, to connect people to God. But if a church is not careful, they become more emotionally tied to what they're doing inside the church than the people who are outside of the church. And they become attached to programs and their traditions that they've created at the expense of the people who are trying to get in. And when that happens, God becomes very uninterested in that church. And that's where I want to focus on today. Let's talk about traditions and programs. Here's a definition of a program. A program is the answer to a specific question or need in the church. A program is the answer to a specific need or question in the church. I'm getting ready to mention four very, tradic- uh, very typical church programs that I've been involved with in, in my past. In fact, I've, and all the ones I'm getting ready to mention, I have done as I've pastored churches. So I want to say these next four things I'm talking about, there's nothing wrong with them. But all of these programs I'm mentioning was the answer at one time or another to a specific question or need. First one is Sunday school, all right? Sunday school. Sunday school was the answer to a very specific question. 200, 250 years ago in London, before child labor laws were around, children were forced to work Monday through Saturday. They, they, they were forced to do factory jobs Monday through Saturday and they did not get an education. That's a problem. The answer to that problem was Sunday school because Roland Hill started schooling children and educated them in how to read, how to write, how to do math in local churches on their day off. And their day off was, and thus we get the word, Sunday school. Nothing wrong with Sunday school. How many of y'all been to Sunday school? I've been to Sunday school. That's everybody, right? Everybody's been to Sunday. Nothing wrong with Sunday school. But Sunday school is a fairly new invention. And it's the answer to a specific problem or a specific question. How are we going to educate kids when they have to work Monday through Saturday? All right, let me give you another program. Uh, this is called an invitation Or an altar call. Now some of you probably never ever heard of this. But again, I've been in churches. I have done this where the pastor, what it is, is after the pastor gets finished preaching, everybody stands up and they usually sing a a song. And people, if they want to give their heart to Jesus, they walk down front. And they take the pastor by the hand. And that's called an altar call. And they make a public commitment. Um, It's amazingly enough, the the invitation or the altar call was fairly recent. Nowhere in the Bible is it found a fellow by the name of Charles Grandison Finney is who created that about 150 years ago. And here's the reason why. As many of these small communities, these small towns, didn't have preachers living in them. So they had these traveling preachers who rode on a horseback, and they would come and they would preach... And after they preached, they were going to have to leave to go to the next town. But if somebody had questions or wanted to talk about the sermon, they would invite everybody down and they would have a dialogue for hours about the sermon before the pastor had to leave. It was the answer to a very specific need, a specific question. Altar calls, invitations. All right, let me give you another one. Does anybody know the average time, like most churches, when do most churches on Sunday morning have their services? And 30, 10, the average, it's actually 11 o'clock. Now, do you know why most churches have their services start at 11 o'clock? Because Jesus said in 2nd Opinions, chapter 2, that every church should start at 11 o'clock, right? No! Let me tell you the reason why most churches start at 11 o'clock. Again, nothing wrong with that. When did did y'all get here? 11 o'clock, right? Most churches start their service at 11 o'clock because 250 years ago, everybody was farmers. It was a rural society. And before you could come to church, you had to go slop the hogs. You had to go a cabin. You had to go, if y'all don't know what it is, get around a farmer. You had to go, you had to make sure to collect the eggs. I mean, you had to do all that. Then you had to hook up the horse and buggy to the horse so that you could get to church. And by the time all of that happened, it was 1030. So... Church started at 11 o'clock so that you could get there and worship. Now, how many of y'all are farmers? Look around. All right? And if you're a farmer, we praise God for you. Nothing wrong with that. My point is, we are still doing, most churches are still doing 11 o'clock. Why? Because we've always done it that way before, right? Let me give you a last one. Sunday night church. I grew up uh, as a kid, and I always wish Sunday morning church could be like Sunday night church. Because Sunday night church, uh, it's more laid back. You could wear jeans, right? And they did hip music, or hip at the time, hipper. Um, and, and I'd always loved Sunday night church. But do you know why Sunday night church was created? Well, it, you know, Jesus didn't start it 2,000 years ago. About a 100 years ago, when there wasn't electricity, electricity started making its way around, right? And one of the first people one of the first communities to get it one of the first businesses was churches and what churches would do is they would get electricity they would get the gas lanterns they would get the lights and everybody said hey y'all come and hang out with church and see electricity and everybody was like whoa never seen electricity it's kind of like living in tennessee they would not seen electricity before it's kind of like indoor plumbing right and uh, so everybody would show up and the church leveraged the technology of the day electricity And everybody came and they told people about Jesus Christ. See, that's cool. You see, every one of those four things I mentioned at the time were earth-shattering, wonderful, awesome, great ideas that the church had to be able to answer a specific question or meet a specific need. At one time, each one of those were awesome, great ideas. But what happens is when we get attached to programs, when we get attached to the how of how we do things, and we start saying that this is the only way to do church. And this is the only way to do church. And if you're a real church, then you got to do and fill in the blank. And we start institutionalizing the answer. And hear me this. When we start institutionalizing the answers of the how, there's going to be a point in the time when our culture changes and we are so committed to the answer that was created 300 years ago that we stop communicating effectively to people who are trying to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's kind of like... This couch. Some of y'all are wondering, what in the world is this couch doing out here? This couch, at one time, was a very beautiful couch. In fact, at one time, somebody spent a lot of money and they purchased this couch. Because this... We y'all know how this goes. You you get a bigger place or something like that, and you're like, you know what? We don't have enough furniture, right? So we got to go, and we got to buy a couch. So we start looking for couches, and we start looking at decors. And is it going to fit here? And is it going to fit with you know your entire theme? And 20, 30 years ago, somebody chose this couch, and they just said that this is going to work. It was functional. At the time, it, it was it it went with everything, and somebody said, This is the answer to our problem. Yay! Wonderful, and they buy the couch. Now, the problem comes when 30 years later, they're still they still have this couch in their house. Right? Now, see, all of us, the the reason why people get attached to stuff like this and and get attached to couches that going, because this couch no longer represents a place to sit anymore. This couch is like a part of the family. Let me explain it. Shall I? This couch was the very first piece of furniture that maybe you bought as a couple. And then this couch, maybe y'all got together and y'all maybe necked a little bit on this couch, right? And then uh maybe you breastfed your your first baby on this couch. And uh, you know, and then when Johnny was growing up and he was running, and you know, he uh he, he hit the coffee table with his teeth and he started bleeding and got a little bit of stain on it. So what we did is we just flipped that over, you know, and nobody really knows. But this couch. This couch has some history, right? And and 20 years later, uh, parents or grandparents, as they move, they keep on bringing this couch with them because this couch, they don't see that it's ugly anymore. They don't see that it's out of date. In fact, it's not even that comfortable. But... They are emotionally attached to this couch because of the history they have with this couch. You know what I'm saying? How many of y'all, y'all have couches like this or you know people who have couches like this? Anyone? Come on, tell the truth, shame the devil. All right? Now, the reason why we don't get rid of couches like this is because we have an emotional attachment to it. So when your parents downsize or your grandparents downsize, they may even call you up. Hey, do you want the couch? And if you have an emotional attachment to it, well, that's my grandmama's couch. I do want that couch. And your spouse, what, do they, what does your spouse say? Uh-uh. That's an ugly couch. That couch needs to be retired. That couch needs to be filling a landfill because we're all green. That couch, I'm just joking, I'm just joking. That couch needs to be getting, gotten rid of. Because that couch, even though it served its purpose at one time, even though this couch at one time fit with everything, it becomes invisible to the people who own it. Because they don't see it for what it really is. They see it as a part of the family. But an outsider comes into your house, or you go into your grandma's house and you say, Hey, honey, your grandma says, Come here and sit down. And you look at it. I ain't sitting down on that. I'm going to get the honey flu, you know? I ain't going to do that, all right? Now, you know what? A couch like this, there's nothing wrong with being emotionally attached to a a couch that's not that attractive. Nothing wrong with that. If you have couches like this, this is a sermon not on home decor, all right? But what I do want to say, even though there's nothing wrong being emotionally attached to a nappy couch, all of us, This becomes very dangerous when the church gets emotionally attached to programs. Because, you know what? My my mama, she got saved there. And my daddy, he went to this thing, in this summer thing, and, and, and he got saved. And it worked 30 years ago. It worked 10 years ago. But when people, when guests come into God's house... They're no longer emotionally attached to the things you and I are emotionally attached to. And many times, you know, eventually a generation is going to come by and say, you know what, I'm just not going to sit there anymore. I'm just not going to sit there because that's not for me. It may have been good for my mom. It may have been good for my dad. But that isn't for me. And that's where I want to land today. And I'm not talking about changing God's word because God's word doesn't change. God's word is perfect. I'm talking about not the what to say but how we say it everybody say how how we say it how we say it this is huge this is when anytime churches emphasize the how over the what anytime churches emphasize programs and we this defines us this always has to be this way because and and they fill in the blank with that order of a program eventually, if you institutionalize the program, eventually that program is going to become an outdated, worn couch. Everything has a shelf life. Everything. Even the stuff that we're doing here at One Church, and I'm going to talk about this at the end, that in the end of the day, what the church has to be more committed to is the mission of Jesus Christ more than our programs, more than our styles, more than our preferences, more even than our tradition. That God's word, we have to be committed to God's word and the people who aren't yet here yet. God's word and the people who aren't yet here yet. That's where we need to land. That's where we need to do. It's, it's not fighting over the how, but it's being focused on the what needs to be said and who it needs to be said to. For God so loved the world. And that's everybody. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Verses 19 and 20. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. And we're going to talk about what Jesus talked about. His last words. Some Christians call this the great commission. And really, that's just a churchy way of saying this is what the church should be doing. This is what we should be focused on as a church. And I, I want to I show, show this to you because Jesus talks about the what and he talks about the to whom. But he does not talk about the how to do it. He doesn't talk about the how. Let's look at it. Matthew chapter 28 verse 19. And before we go there, I want to put our big idea up. All right, because our big idea up, and then we're going to look at the scripture. Our big idea is this we must always be more committed to Jesus' mission than our model. Let's all say that together. We must always be more committed to Jesus' mission than our model. What is Jesus' mission? Great question. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 says, Therefore, what's that next word? Go. Therefore, go. The first thing we need to do is what? Go. You know, it's saying, you got to get out of your comfort zone. You've got to get out of your comfort zone because God's plan includes you, but it's bigger than you. you got to go. You have to go. Now, here's what's so cool about this. It's Jesus did this. Jesus went, didn't he? He gone. That's awful English, but hang out with me for a sec. The reason why we celebrate Christmas is because Jesus had a mission. For God so loved the that he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You see, Jesus' mission in Luke 19.10 was to seek and to save that which was lost. And he couldn't do that by just staying in the comfort zone of heaven. So you know what Jesus did? He left the comfort zone of heaven to come down to earth for you and for me because his mission and who he was ministering to the entire world was more important than his comfort and that's how it should be with us in the church as well that even though we're attached to something even though we're very comfortable with something the people who are most important is God and the people who aren't yet here that is how Jesus sees the world. Go. Because Jesus' plan includes us, but it's bigger than us. Now, go, go into whom? How big is it? Go and make disciples of all. What does all mean? That's exactly right. All means everybody. All means all. All the who? Nations. Does that mean we should go to South America? Does that mean we should go to Haiti? Does that mean we should go to Europe? Africa? Middle East? You see, he's saying, you need to go to all, all the nations, everybody. That's how big it is. So he tells us, I want you to go. And then he tells us to whom. And then he tells us what we should be doing. This is the what? We need to be making disciples. In fact, this is what's so cool. that These two verses here, there's only one verb. All these other things, go, it's not a verb, it's a participle in the original language. But to make disciples is a verb. This is the thrust. This is what every church should be doing. Making disciples. Making disciples. I'm going to keep on reading. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We, had ba- we baptized three people in between the services today. You know what baptizing is? Baptizing is advertising Jesus. It's saying, I'm sold out for him. So we are to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing, and then look at what we should be doing. Teaching them. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. What are we to teach? The commands that Jesus gave. Now, how are we supposed to do it? Does he give us the how? I mean, how can we teach? Can we use Sunday school? You betcha. Can we use Sunday night church? You betcha. Can we use uh, discipleship training? If you don't know what that is, just skip it. But yes. Um, Can we use Wednesday night church? Yep, we can do that. Can we use small groups? Yep, you can do that. Can we use the internet? Sure can, sure enough. Absolutely. Can we use podcasts? Sure, yeah, we can do that. Can we put video up on the web? Yep, you can do that. See, he doesn't address the how. He tells us what we should be doing, making disciples, teaching, And he tells it to whom we should be doing it. And that is everybody, all. But he doesn't tell us the how. And the whole reason why I think Jesus doesn't tell us the how is because the how changes from generation to generation. You know one of the things I love doing? I love listening to preaching on podcasts. I love, in fact, you can go, when you get home, you can do a search on iTunes and you can come hear so many wonderful sermons. In fact, our church, one church, you can listen to the sermons on there. You can go to our website and you can watch all of the videos of the preaching and the worship. That's awesome. I had somebody who actually came up today and said, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm leaving for Afghanistan. This is my last Sunday here. One of the main reasons we, we have made this accessible and easy for everybody so that you could go to the website, you could go to iTunes, and so that you could still be a part of one church. And and you know what? That's the how. How changes. In 10 years, I mean, how how many of y'all still own a cassette player? few of us, right? How many of y'all still own uh, turntables? Anyone? I got some DJ friends in the back, yeah. That's not many of us all right. Remember the 33s and the 45s, right? I remember 8-tracks, friend. Come on now. My very first car had an 8-track. Only 8-track I had was grease. All right? You know, I remember growing up in church where they did something called flannel grass. Some of y'all, you probably don't even know what that is. But, man, that was high-tech. And you know what? In 10 years, there's going to be new high tech. And the church should always embrace the how while never changing the what we say. You hear what I'm saying? This never changes, but how we communicate it better change or it becomes like a, it becomes like a, a nasty couch that eventually becomes outdated. All right, now, our mission. Uh, we've talked about programs. I want to talk a little bit about a step because programs are just answers to a, maybe a question or a need. This is a step. This is the definition of step. A step is one of a series of actions and measures taken to achieve a what? Goal. You know what our goal here is at One Church? Our mission, our goal, our target here at One Church is this right here. To lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to know this, that everything that we do on Sunday morning. Everything that we do in, during the week, we evaluate. We evaluate every sermon. And we answer, okay, did that help lead people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ? We evaluate every children's environment, every student ministry environment, every, every event that we do, and we filter it through that grid. Now, that is how we basically restate the Great Commission, how, and I, I want to kind of show you, because our a program is just a program, it doesn't really lead anywhere, but a step leads you somewhere. When you're taking a step, you are going somewhere. And so we choose here at One Church to focus not on programs, but steps. In fact, this is how we say it, think steps, not programs. Everybody say that out loud. Think steps, not programs. We measure spiritual growth not by how you take a class we measure spiritual growth not by just church attendance. We measure spiritual growth by going through three specific steps. And that's where I'm going to spend the rest of the time this morning to explain our paradigm, how we do ministry here at One Church. And I'm so glad if you're here, if you've never been to One Church before, I am so stoked that you're here right now because this is why we do it, or I should say, how we do what we do. But you need to know this. We're more committed to the mission than the how. Because eventually the how may become like an outdated old couch. You know what I'm saying? And the how may change. But this never does. All right, let me explain to you the how. How we do it. What we do it. We have three steps here at One Church. First step is called the foyer. Everybody say the foyer. Second step. Is the living room. Everybody said living room. And the third step is a kitchen table environment. Everybody say kitchen table. All of the steps that we've created here at One Church all look like the rooms of a house. In whatever house you, you live in, or apartment, or condo, you probably have a foyer, you probably have a living room, and you probably have a kitchen. My wife and I, when we were married 16 years ago, our first apartment was a 420 square foot apartment with paper thin walls. Um, and uh, But we had a foyer, we have a living room, and we had a kitchen when we lived in Dallas. All right. Now the living room and kitchen were kind of together, but anyway, moving on. Our four-year environment here at One Church. By the way, the the word you need to associate with four-year environment is this word. It is the word guest. Everybody say the word guest. It is the word guest. Four-year environments here at One Church are large group environments where we do everything with the guest in mind. We do everything knowing that guests are going to show up. Think about it. When somebody knocks on your front door, or rings your front doorbell, who is it? It's probably a guest. If you know me, when, if you know me, when you show up at my house, you're going to come through the garage. You're going to come through the back door, right? But if somebody knocks on my front door with the welcome mat, it's going to be A guest. So in one church, the environment, the step that we take, this is a four-year environment. This is a large group environment. Our most popular four-year environment is our Sunday morning worship service. And our thinking is this, is that we are going to have guests show up in our home. We do everything and we filter everything knowing that we're going to have guests showing up at one church. There are some things that we talk about at one church because we know on Sunday mornings we're going to have guests. There's some things that we never talk about at one church. Because we know that we're going to have guests. It's like this. When when somebody shows up at your home, you don't change who you are as a family. You don't even change what you believe as a family. But you talk about certain things when a guest is in your home, right? And there's certain things you never talk about, right? You don't ever talk about marital conflict and, you know, why did you not? You don't talk about family finances, You don't talk about, hey, uh, Billy, how come you got a D in English? Right? You don't talk about that stuff. But what you do is you tailor make the environment so that the person who's in your home feels welcome. And our whole goal of Sunday morning, large group, four-year environment, guest, is we want to let everyone feel welcome. And they show up, they come in, and they start changing their mind and their attitude about who God is. And who the church is. You know, most people, if you ask them, the people who who are, you know, drunk, hungover, they're not here on church, they'll say, what do you think of church? What do you think of God? And they're probably going to have negative feelings. And you know what? Our goal at One Church is to bring the church out of the margins of society and let everybody know, you know what? God loves you. And so do we. It's a four-year environment, large group environment, and you're in one right now. This is so important to us. Every one of our age-graded environments, preschool, children, students, our goal is to have a four-year environment for every one of them. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Now, this is great. We spent a lot of energy on this, but this is just the first step. The second step is where? Right? Living room environment. A living room environment is a medium-sized environment. The word that you need to associate here in the living room is the word friend. Everybody say the word friend. It's in the living room environment that you start to connect with people and that you start building friendships. You know, when somebody shows up in your foyer, they show up, they stay a little bit around in your foyer, but eventually, where do you go? You take them to the living room. Sit down, let's talk. Let's talk. And you start getting to know one another. Where this happens in one church Our living room environments. We have three or four living room environments. The the first one and the most popular one is just getting involved. It's serving. Um, uh, I mean, how that happens is, you know, when you're able to uh, connect and able to serve in children's ministry or serve as a greeter or serve uh, as set up a teardown. If you're able to serve um, in media, serve in video, serve in whatever, you are able to start to connect and make friends. In fact, how many of y'all serve regularly? All right, let me see your hands. Okay, cool. You know, guys, that, I mean, one church is, especially at 11 o'clock, it's just kind of a big church, and it's hard to really connect with people, right? But because you said, you know what, I'm going to move from the foyer, and I'm going to step into the living room, and I'm going to serve. And and our goals, we want everybody to serve one and go to one. Serve, serve a service, and then go to a service. That's the main reason why we do two services, is so that you don't even have to miss Sunday morning. And this is so important to us. Uh, Another one of our living room environments, it's a medium-sized environment where you start to connect with friends, would be um, our our membership class, Commune. Our next membership class is February the 21st. And it's a one-time, three-hour class that you learn all about yourself, all about God, and all about the church, and how you three connect. It's a great it's a great time. This is actually one of our uh, classes that went through commune. And uh, it's a fun time. Our next one's February 21st, you can actually sign up out at the hub. Another one of our living room environments is something called starting point. Our starting point, it actually started today at nine o'clock. And this is an adult. It's kind of like a small group environment that meets. It meets on Sunday mornings at nine, and if you know nothing about the Bible. I mean, if you're just kind of a blank slate and if somebody said, hey, would you mind turning to Genesis and you went, Jenna who? This is for you. It's where you get a lot of your questions answered. And if you're still taking the wrapping off of your Bible and it it looks brand new, this is for you. This is where we're giving you the tools so that you can kind of actually have a starting point. All right. So this is another one of our living room environments. We have another one called Essentials that's going to be starting after our next group link in April. And it meets on Tuesday evenings. And it's just a time where you can get together and, again, be able to connect. It's a a living room environment. Now, so for your large group environment, and what's the one word I want you to associate here? Guest. All right. Living room, it's a medium-sized environment. What's the one word? All right. Now, all of this is great, but let me tell you where our main goal is at, where re- where we want you to end up, and it's right here. It's around the kitchen table. Kitchen table environments are small group environments, and the word I want you to associate here is the word family. Everybody, say the word family. I don't know how your family is, but we've never ever once met in the foyer, right? i 've never called all of my three boys, and my wife says hey we 're going to have a powwow in the four year it 's never what 's happened All right? in fact a lot of a lot of times families uh, in some living rooms is just kind of too stuffy and formal they don 't even meet in the living room, but life happens around the kitchen table when we 're sitting there and we 're eating together and we 're talking about how how school was and how work was. it happens around the kitchen table we say Around these small group environments, this is where our community groups happen. Our goal, four years, great living rooms, great, but we want everybody to be in a community group. This is where we and we said it like this. I've said it like this for years. We believe that life change takes place best in small groups. Because you're studying the Bible with people who know you intimately And they it's where you find accountability, it's where you belong, and it's where you experience care. It's in community group. And this is so important important to us. Every one of our age-grade environments has a small group. Do you know, how many of y'all have K through 5th graders right now? Cool. Let me tell you where they're at right now. They're in their small group. They have a consistent adult every Sunday, and they have small group with them. And they get to know that adult, and that adult gets to know them. Let me tell you, how many of y'all have uh, uh, teenagers or 6th grade through 12th grade? Their Wednesday night, that's remix. Let me tell you, they're small, they have small groups on Wednesday nights. They do, they do four-year, they do large group singing on Wednesday nights, but then at the end, they close with small group. One-way street right now, they have a, a large group environment where they sing, and if you've never ever seen the kids just sing in there, it's the bomb, y'all. It's awesome. They're raising their hands just like you guys, and they're getting into it. And then as they close, though, they have a small group environment. Our preschool, they have small group environments. Every one of our age grade. Well, this is so important to us. that, And hear me, this is what makes us a little bit different. Every one of our staff is in a community group. Every one of them. Again, I've grown up in many churches. I have been in many churches where the pastor says, you need to go to Sunday school, but the pastor is not a part of a Sunday school, right? Or they have a Christian education director, and he says, you need to be a part of Sunday school, but he's not in part of Sunday school, right? (laughs) Well, you know what? We say here at one church, this is so important to us. This is the reason why we don't do them on Sunday mornings because I need to be, I need this, I need this, and I think you need this. So our goal is for everybody to be in a community group. And see, some of you are out there, and I know what you're thinking. Well, my spouse is getting ready to deploy, so I don't need to do this right now. Let me ask you a question. When are you supposed to pour the cement for a foundation? When it's sunny outside or when it's raining? Somebody help me here. Sunny. If you try pouring concrete to build a foundation when it's raining, what's going to happen? It ain't going to dry. It ain't going to set. Let me tell you, I'm I'm encouraging you now. Now is the time to get into a community group. Not when your spouse leaves. Now. Because you need support. You need encouragement. You need some people just just, just to love on you. And, when, and you're going to have rough times and you're going to cry and you're going to get angry at him or you're going to get angry at her. You need to get involved in the community. We got men community groups. We got women community groups. You know what? This is crazy. We got couple community groups. We got singles community groups. We got community groups that meet on Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. We got a meeting all over. You want to know why? Because this is important. And this is where we want everybody to land. Now, I want to say this as I close. There is not any one of these environments where anybody stays forever. If you're in the foyer, what's your next step? If you're in the living room, what's your next step? Right? And what's so amazing, it, 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 let me tell you a little bit about these communion groups. You go to a group link. We had a group link two or three weeks ago. And you, you pick a group. How many of you all got in the group, the group link? Very good. Awesome. Now, here's what's going to happen. For those six to eight weeks, you're going to tell your story. And you're going to have other people tell their story. And for those first to six to eight weeks, you're going to figure out, are these your people? You know what I mean by that? They're like, some of you are like, I don't know if these are my people. And if they're not your people, if you don't connect, then after six to eight weeks, you can bail and go to another group link and find another group. But after those six to eight weeks, if you feel like, yeah, this is where I fit. Then what happens is we close that group. And let me explain what that is. We do close group here because after that six to eight weeks of kind of dating that group, you close the group and no new people show up in the group. Because we want to create a predictable environment where when you start struggling with finances or struggling with marriage or struggling with whatever, you can actually be real with people that you trust and hang out with and not some person who just showed up last week. I'll give you an example. Very first small group we were here in in one church. Now, our group was kind of relationally shallow. and Ours went on Sunday night until one Sunday night, my wife and I, we showed up at group. And this is what my wife said to the ladies. Ladies, let's go. Let's go to Chili's. I don't want to even see him right now. I'm like, fine. I don't want to see you either. Right? Because we were fighting. So she takes the ladies and they go to Chili's. I take the guys and we go to Steak and Shake. (laughs) But you know what? (laughs) That's when everybody saw Chris and Kim, not as the pastor and his wife, but these people really got some problems. <laughs> and you know what? We all went to stake and Shake. And let me tell you what all the guys, you know, the guys shared about struggles. A bunch of them had been, they're on their second marriage. And they found, that's when they opened up, when they realized I wasn't perfect. That's when they, they some of them started talking about their addiction to internet pornography. And it happened because when they realized, you know what, the pastor, he's not perfect. I mean, we started connecting when everybody kind of, we kind of saw each other's junk. That doesn't happen in here. It can't happen in here because this is a large group for your environment. But let me tell you, it has to happen somewhere for you. I love my Sunday night group. I know you guys are in groups. You absolutely love it. Some of you who aren't in group, you've got to get in group. And it's not a guilt trip because, you know, we've got to meet our quota on groups. We've got no quota. But what I'm telling you is this if this is where you're at, guys, and I want to end this sermon just by some application, where are you at in this process? Where are you at? Are you right here? Because if you're right here, you're missing out. This is great. This is fun. Josh sings wonderfully. The band is awesome. But you're not making friends. You're not connecting here. So maybe you just need to sign up to get involved. Not because we just even need more workers. That's not it. So that you can connect with other people. So that you can start realizing, you know what? I need friends. And if you're here, if you're serving day in and day out, praise God for you. That's awesome. But you need to take that step. You need to move over to the kitchen table. And you need to start. This is where it's not just one church or that big church. This is my church. And this is where these are the people who know me best. And they know the good, they know the bad, and they know the ugly. And that's okay because they love me. And it's a safe place. And no one ever talks outside a group. These are some of the rules that we put up. You know what? There's no gossiping. But this is where it happens because all of us need encouragement. And I'm encouraging you, our next group link is going to be the Sunday after Easter in April, the second week in April. I'm telling you, don't wait any longer. Get there. And you know what? After a year of being in the same group, you know what happens? That group multiplies. And you're in a different group because you're never in one of these steps forever. As I close and before we answer questions, I just want to say this. As much as I love this, let me tell you what I'm not committed to is this. I am committed to the mission. And that is to lead people to grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when the living room ain't cutting it, you know what we're going to do? We're going to boot it. Because eventually that nice leather couch will become a nasty worn-out couch. And we have to be more committed to God's Word and the people who He loves who's not yet here yet than just to keep around old Nasty, out-of-date couches. All right, as we close, let's see if anybody has any questions for today. Oh, yes, I love this. All right, cool. How do you tell someone about God when you are surrounded by Christians, how do you tell someone about God when you are surrounded by Christians? Well, I would just say this. Um, if you're surrounded by Christians, then you're, you're, this is probably your question. I don't have anybody to tell about God because all I'm around are Christians. I got to be honest with you. I struggle with that a lot of times. I'm a preacher and I can surround myself with insider people. But I believe God's focus is outsiders because is he came to seeking to save that which was lost, Right. So if you're not around people who who don't know Jesus Christ, then I would just start praying. God, open my eyes. Let me see some people who need you and give me a heart for them. Person I'm praying, I I can't tell you who I'm praying for, but I I have a couple of people in my life who don't know Jesus Christ and I pray for them every day and every time I get an opportunity, I invite them. I invite them to church. Hey, come to church. The pastor's kind of weird, but it's fun, you know? Um, but I mean, that's kind of how I do it. So if you're not, if you don't know a lot of people who don't know Jesus, just be praying about it. All right. Why is this series called cow tipping? (laughs) Because, um, the whole thing was a lot of times churches say, this is how we always do it. They have some sacred cows. So our goal is to tip over sacred cows and to talk about, Hey, this is why we do what we do. So that's the answer to that. All right. Um, If you feel that these programs are outdated, what new things do you want to do to bring people in? I think I've already answered that question that came in a while back. Um, This is what we do to bring people in. This is the reason why we do worship the way we do. So um, uh, somebody who's never been to church, they're able to say, wow, actually, I enjoyed that. You know, there was actually instruments that I listened to and not instruments maybe that I don't. So, um, that's the reason why we do what we do on Sunday mornings to bring people in. I'm going to get one more and then I got to get off the stage or I'm going to be pulled off. All right. What about reupholstering the couch? Um, I, I know that's supposed to be funny, but I I will say this, you know, there's, I'm not saying all of the things I'd mentioned before, all of these programs are bad. I'm not at all. I got saved through a lot of these, but this is, I am going to say this. Sometimes it can be reupholstered and sometimes it just needs to be kicked out. I'm going to give you an example. I want to close on this. I didn't do this first service. You know, um, I'm never going to say that we're never going to do invitations but I I went to a church that did invitations, and this is how I equated. If you go down front and you walk the aisle and take the pastor by the hand, then you are now a Christian. And I walked down front, and I took the pastor by the hand, and the pastor spent about 10 seconds with me, and he prayed with me, and I just parroted a prayer. And they said, okay, you're saved. And then I got dumped. And for the next three years, I had nightmares because I didn't think I was saved. You know what? I wasn't. But I equated walking down front. Okay, now I'm saved. I'm, I'm safe. And when, when right before one church started, we had about thirty five people, and and this is, um, we ended up going to a church in Hopkinsville that um, that we, we kind of. Did field trips. And the one of this uh, couple, they said, so y'all aren't going to do invitations? And I said, probably not. We might, but probably not. And he says, well, we're not going to be a part of one church then because invitations are biblical. Really? So I sit down with them and I push my Bible over to them. And I says, can you show me where that's at? Um, no. Okay. There's nothing wrong with them. I have a bad taste in my mouth about it. But you know what? Three years later, I walked down front at an invitation and I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. So there's nothing specific. But I'm just saying, we have to realize that the things that we're attached to in churches, many times have nothing to do with the Bible. It has to do with our preferences and our styles. And if we start fighting over preferences and styles, we're fighting over the wrong thing and we're off mission. So I'm just going to say, I want you to hear my heart on this. I love all of that stuff, and I even love what we do. But the clock is ticking, and we always have to be more committed to our, to Jesus' mission, the Great Commission, and people. And when this stuff isn't working, we're going to can it. And we're going to look at other ways of how to do ministry, but the what and the whom will never change. Let's pray. Dear Jesus Christ, I thank you so much for allowing us just to be here this morning. And Lord, I pray today, God, that there are a lot of people here who are in the four-year environment. They're in this large group environment where everybody's made to feel like a guest. And Lord, I am so thankful that they're here. But Lord, I know many people, they've been here for six months. And Lord, they may have even been here for a year. And Lord, as, as fun as this is and as great as this is, Lord, they're missing out on connecting with friends. So Lord, I pray that wherever everyone is in here, in these environments, in these steps, Lord, I pray that all of us, that you would challenge us to take that next step. Lord, that, if, that we would take that next step and we would serve. That we would take that next step and we would get involved in a community group. And we would finally say, you know, I'm just going to take the plunge. Lord, that we would take that next step and we would realize, you know what? I'm missing out. It's not about guilt. It's not about anything. It's just I am missing out. And Lord, I pray that you would give me the courage, the strength, the strength, To take that next step because that's what spiritual growth is all about. It's about taking steps. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.